And we're live. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at this Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans. I caught myself. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out of our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king. The sky is the limit and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, we'll let you meet our dysfunctional guest, Seska Smalls. I'm not a guest. I'm the co-host. I know, but I want to call you dysfunctional, so it's the best I could do. All right, so we've got Mira. Oh, Can you... Uh... That's Mira, amazing. how many times am I going to have to correct you on that? Probably every time. Uh, can you introduce yourself to the listeners who might not have watched the other three episodes you've been on? Well, hello, everyone. My name is Mara Rose, and uh, I'm just another crazy, geeky, um, I don't know, person. Uh, I, I do all kinds of insanity for various things, and uh, so, yeah, I'm here. Go watch all the right. other ones, then you'll know what I do. <laughs> So she was on our page to stage, and so you want to go to a con, and based on um, events we can't control, she's on the episode 200 uh, episode where she interviews us, but since I can't predict when this will come out, because we're going to keep these Halloween-esque episodes in October, we will have to, I know, crazy how that works. We're just going to have to play it by ear, but she's been on three episodes. This is lucky number four or three. We don't do the math. No, Depending yeah, on the order, yeah. I don't. I don't math. So, all right. The next question is uh, part of the introduction, dear listeners. How we first found them, and all I can say to this one is, I blame Doc. It's all her fault. That's fair. It is Doc's fault. So, how did you first meet uh, Madam Rose? <laughs> Madam, oh my, we're already botching the pronouns. Uh, <laughs> okay. So I met Mira, whose official title, if, if, if you're not going to call her Mira, is Maven. <laughs> so, sure, we'll go with it. My favorite one to use on you. Fair. Um, so we met years ago at Dragon Con, one drunken, escape, slightly drunken escapade of, hey, with the friend going, hey, I want to introduce you to somebody and dragging me off to a random hotel room. This is something you only do with the best and most trustworthy of friends. Especially when said hotel room is also a makeup room. <laughs> so, and from so, there... Hmm? Go ahead. I said, and from there, we discovered we both love books. And then later on, we discovered that while Mira is a master costumer and creator of sets and all things crazy production wise and i just kind of admire from well now not so much of a distance we have that in common so we ended up doing stage page to stage together and then became a whole bunch of stuff where i think their husband really regrets it so if I can't call her Madam, what about Goody Rose? It's appropriate for what we're about to do. Actually, I'm not a Goody either because technically a Goody would be female. And I am non-binary. That said, um, I do re I do respond to she, her. I prefer they, them. Uh, Gigi is better. Most of your listeners just checked out. Uh, <laughs> it's, 
it's a thing. It's all right. There's a long story there. You can interview me on one other day when we're not here to talk about crazy awesomeness, like witchy goodness. And at some point, people are going to be like, what is all that flashing light? And what is all that crazy sound behind me? I'm not sure how much of it's coming through. None. Oh, well, that's awesome. Good. Because I am currently sitting in a parked car in the parking lot of a theme park where I have designed haunts and a scare zone after having repaired a haunt that somebody busted through. Well, that means you haunted it right, I guess. I did. We we did some we did some mass haunting. I'm telling you what, man, we brought the good spirits in tonight to fix that stuff. So this is the part uh, based on her reference to haunting. We've talked about it's Halloween month, and the picture on the screen being the Hocus Pocus movie poster. Uh, that's right. We're reviewing the 1993 movie Hocus Pocus since the second one just dropped, and uh, Wait, we will prop. Are we doing both? If we have time, we'll do both, and otherwise, we'll do a separate episode. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll make you a separate episode. All right. That made no sense, but we're going to rock on and pretend that it did. So uh, <laughs> let's cover what we're looking for. We're going to focus on several parts of the movie. I'll give you a quick rundown, dear listener. So we're going to talk about the blurb or the summary from the movie, uh, synopsis, which is generally speaking straight from the back of the DVD or the ad copy. I know I'm showing my age with DVD. You youngins don't know what that is, but... We're going to show the movie trailer if I can find it and borrow it. Uh, we're going to talk about the characters, who they are. Do we like them? Do we hate them? Are they believable? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we'll talk about the plot, which is the generic story arc of the movie. Was it action-packed? Easy to follow? Did it lag in places? Were there parts that we didn't buy? Then we're going to talk about the world building, which also uh, is intricately linked with cinematography, which we'll also discuss. And finally, we'll look at the movie poster if there are any available. Some of the new movies, they don't make them. I know, shocking people, shocking. And then finally, we'll give you our overall opinions. So the summary, so the movie obviously is Hokey Pokey, Hokey Pokey, Hocus Pocus. Wow. Uh, it was directed by Kenny Ortega. Um, so the movie is roughly $24 on Amazon if you get the DVD, if you could find one for your region. Uh, check that when you buy movies online, people, because you got to make sure it's the region where you live or the DVD might not work. But uh, I bought the DVD years ago, so I don't know what I paid. It's 96 minutes long. It was released on July 16th, 1993. Missed opportunity that they didn't release it on Halloween. Because yeah. that's what it's kind of known for is a Halloween movie. Uh, and so the ad copy. You're in the devil. You're in for a devil of a time when three outlandishly wild witches—Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Kathy Najimy—return from a 17th-century Salem after they're accidentally conjured up by some unsuspecting pranksters. It's a night full of zany fun and comic chaos. Once the tricky 300-year-old trio sets out to cast a spell on the town to reclaim their youth, but first they must get their act together and outwit three kids and a talking cat, loaded with bewitching laughs. Hocus Pocus is an outrageously wild comedy that's sure to entertain everyone. So, uh, did you agree with that rather long ad copy? Eh, I mean, it's it's family friendly. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, I, I would say the comedic aspects of it are pretty good for the age range that it was geared towards. Um. I don't know that I would say it was action packed, but it moves quickly enough that you know you don't get bored. Um, there are in it, but it's you know it's been enough to grab hold and keep hold people for twenty nine years. 
I mean, this is not a movie that was a fly-by-night, and it easily could have been, ha-ha, pun intended, fly-by-night, get it? Um, uh -huh. But, uh, you know, it definitely, it created a fandom all of its own, not just the Disney fandom. It, it kind of brought people to the Disney fandom, too. So um, I'd say I, I agree with about 90% of it. Okay, what about you, Doc? I agree. I mean, it's not action-packed from the violence, you know, when we think of action-packed these days, we think of boom, bang, ad adventures, combat. I mean, there's a little bit of like, you can't catch me. But um, I think it, it's really a great movie. And I do think it's definitely been a movie that was both family friendly and something that has aged well, actually. I mean, the special effects, honestly, and I may be getting ahead of ourselves, uh, of us, have aged incredibly well with this. And a lot of the content within it has aged very well. I mean, there's some things where there's th that we look at and we're kind of like, oh, like, let, like, let's not do that. But there's not as many moments where I'm like, let me clap my hands over a kid's ears or let me uh, take a shot because that hurt. I mean, there are a couple of cringeworthy moments, at least if they're a pagan. But, oh, yeah. Um, that said, uh, get past that cringeworthiness and you're good. Um, I'm, how do you get better than a talking cat? Uh, yeah, I mean, this also, it does not have the major, like, you watch this and you don't necessarily go, oh, that's a Disney movie. Yeah, I mean, there's enough there that's kind of fun for the adults that it's not, it's it's not the traditional Disney movie that I would think of where I walk in with kids and sit down and go, and if I fall asleep, nobody's going to notice, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, oh, and if you fall asleep, you won't have missed something. Right, exactly. I mean, and to be honest, it's uh, other than some, there's a couple of the newer generation Disney movies that have come out that I've been like, oh, this is fun. I can watch this. Um, but there was about a 20 year period there where everything Disney was releasing kids, I was trying to plan exactly like, how long of a nap I could take in the middle that the girls wouldn't notice. <laughs> Most definitely. I think one of the things also is it's not, there's music in it, but it's not super duper heavy. Um, and I just watched this this past weekend. It's, I, I enjoy this movie so much. So do I. I mean, I this is a barometer movie for me. How, how you I feel how about Hocus Pocus can determine how I feel about you. That's very true. That said, how spoilery free are we trying to be with this? Like, are we going from the perspective that we're talking to people that haven't seen it? Or are we talking to people that are we aiming this at people that have seen this movie? Because it's been out for 29 years. I mean, I think after 29 years, the statue of a spoiler dumb is kind of past. So um, <laughs> I, I think I think we're good. I mean, the movie's above the age of consent. So so here's the big problem that I have with the entire plot of the first Hocus Pocus well, movie. Well, well, I mean, we do we do break the plot down as we go through. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> so I I thought the summary was pretty good. I, I get what you're saying about the action movie, although it was. I mean, they were running around all over town and. 
you know, dodging a certain uh, well, revived action in the way of movement. There's just not action in the way of like explosions there, and violence. Well, I mean, there, it's there, like that darn cat had action. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, like the cats dodging cars and they're dodging witches that are flying around and they're swinging out. I mean, like. It was campy kid violence level violence, but I mean, there was still action in it. It's just not what you expect from like John Wick and modern movies. The bar has been moved a little bit. The Overton window has shifted towards murder, murder and mayhem. So I would say based on the period of when the movie was released. <laughs> meh. So, all right. So this is the part, dear listener, where I show you the trailer because I found a copy of it. And this qualifies <gasps> as... Where did the hocus pocus go? And <laughs> he lost it. It sounds like witchcraft. Man. I uploaded it. I uploaded it in advance, and then it just disappeared. I blame Seska. But while that's loading, real quick, um, we can somehow uh, blame. How is that? It's just the way of the world. It's the way it always has been and always shall be. So I have spoken. All right. Well, since that was quick, I'm going to show you the trailer. the bones and in the back. Back in 1693, the people of Salem, Massachusetts Witches! Thought they got rid of the Sanderson sisters for good. Uh, we shall be back! 300 years later, it's Halloween Eve and they're back. Uh, we are home! Are you boys a little old to be trick-or-treating? It's talking about three ancient hags versus the 20th century. About can it be? Now they're digging up old friends. <laughs> and running amok. Looking for the one thing they miss most. You stay for supper. I'm not hungry. But we are. Only one boy has the power to stop them. Prepare to die again. You have no powers here, you fool. Before all Salem falls under their spell. Hello, you. Walt Disney Pictures presents Bette Midler. Hello. Sarah Jessica Parker. Without dance with me. And Kathy Najimi. Hocus Pocus. Into the night! They love to fly. And it shows. Good night. Sleep time. No screaming. <laughs> All righty. So, uh, if you hadn't already done the review, would this have drawn you to watch the movie, this trailer? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. just I, I remember the first time I ever saw the trailer, and you get the um, a muck, a muck, a muck, a muck, and I just went, Oh, I gotta see this. <laughs> I don't know what it was about that one line, but it was like, okay, let's do this. Yeah, what about you, Doc? Did this uh, inspire oh, I you to been watch all it? All about it. I, I, I would have. I, I would have been all about it. I think actually, I remember watching the trailer at one point, 
So yeah, no, I, I love it. I thought the trailer it was also fairly accurate to the movie. I think so. yeah. five when the trailer came out. So not five. Target audience. <laughs> I was not five. Ninety-three, I was eleven. Okay, ninety-three, I was I don't remember how old I was. Uh, I was in high school. I remember that. 16. I would have been 12. Math and I am. Yeah, I would have been 16 and 93. So, um, I honestly, I remember seeing the, the trailer for it and going, oh, I can't wait till that hits the dollar theater. Um, because that's that's what we had in our era. And the big theaters rarely ever carried kids' movies. We didn't really get them until they hit the dollar theater. And I want to say when I first went to see it, it was one of those late night showings after it had been out. Like everybody else that lived outside of the small town I lived in had already seen it probably and probably knew every word of it. Um, We went, I want to say it was like a nine or 10 o'clock showing. And... I came out going, I'm going to make Sarah. <laughs> I'm going to make that dress. <laughs> um, kind of obsessed with the with the costumes and everything. And tried to convince my high school theater teacher that it would be really cool to put a Follies skit in that was based on Hocus Pocus. I got shot down. I ended up doing the same violin thing they always had me do. Um, but, you know, it was... It was fun, and I remember being so into the movie when it first came out that it was like, okay, even though some of the things that they did with the witches are really just not good um, for the image of witches in general, uh, you know, that doesn't mean that we can't enjoy this movie anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. just that kind of fun. So I obviously, uh, it made me watch the movie since I watched it when it came out. And then we we rewatch this every year with the kids around Halloween season. So I would say uh, as far as movie trailers go, this one was a win for me as well. So, all righty. And now that we've got it uh, at that part of the show, dear listener, uh, we're going to talk about the characters. So, who do you see as the main characters? Was there one main character, or were there multiple main characters? Uh, we'll start with you, Mira. Oh, Lord. There were multiple main characters. I mean, yeah, of course, Winifred is a main character. Thackeray Binks is a main character. Um, you know, you have people that were, I think, meant to be supporting characters that kind of stole the show at points and kind of became main characters. I always wanted more plot from what they did with Sarah. Um, I did not like the focus that they put on the little sister, honestly. I was just kind of like, okay, you could have just left her in the beginning. We didn't need, like, anything else about it. Like, the motivation was enough for Thackeray to just do what he did. Um, but the mom and dad were fun supporting characters, uh, but they kind of steal the show in that scene during the, the music bit. Um, so I guess, yeah, there's really just, I guess, primarily the two main characters would be Winifred and uh, Thackeray, as far as I'm concerned. But um, the supporting characters were so much fun that you kind of forget that they're not main characters. 
All right. Well, I'm going to disagree with that, but first I'm going to let Doc go. Well, I would say that I felt that this was probably one of the first movies that really did an amazing job with it, doing it as an ensemble piece. Um, because they did those moments when like the parents stole the show or Thackeray did, they were really great in um and and that they let that they let them have that spotlight. There wasn't a fight for it for the audience, if that makes sense. But I really feel that it the main characters really were kind of Winifred and Max, the older brother of the young girl. But I liked the little girl in the beginning. They actually they... could have left Max out of the whole movie, and I would have been fine if it had just been Danny running around. <laughs> yes, so Winifred was the character. So Winifred was the witch from the the heavy set witch with the dark hair that was in Sister Act. Uh, Catherine something was her name. Yeah, Bette Midler is Winifred. She is the... Okay, well, she was one of the witches. I, in my opinion, the main characters would have been Max, Allison, the, the friend, and Danny, and then the little sister, and then the antagonists would have been the, the Sanderson sisters. I don't see them as the main characters so much as I see them as the main antagonist. So, that, in my opinion, that was have a story though what's that you got you can't you don't have a story without them though okay but when you can't the antagonist is always part of the story but it, it's about the the modern people interacting with that so escape from new york and new york is a character because it's the antagonist but it doesn't mean it's the main character it's sort no, of I, how i view the sanderson sisters I I'm I am not looking at this from a literary perspective. I am honestly looking at this from a the the primary characters in the movie that you can identify with, follow their story, point A to point B, um, and that actually grab and pull you in. Uh, that's what I'm looking at when I talk about main characters. Who were the main characters intended to be by plot? Obviously the kids. That said, the kids were not as intriguing. They did not provoke as much involvement in the movie as the witches and the talking cat and even the zombie. I mean, Billy, you know, was a trip. Poor Billy. I actually wanted more scenes in. Doc, you were going to say? Sorry? I was going to say, I think Max, as a uh, older sibling, I definitely identified with. <laughs> so I, I just, for me, like, I, I guess you could say the antagonist and the protagonist were all main characters in that sense. Sure. But I, to me, I didn't identify with the, the witches because they were just supposed to be, you know, a comical representation of inept evilness. They were, they made a pact with the devil. They were evil beings that were, you know, good triumphed over. Uh, I mean, Okay, so the trope of this whole plot line is good triumphs over evil, right? Um, that said, I I don't see them as being inept evil. They're obviously period-based evil. And you see that when, you know, they come out into the world and the first time they walk out of the house and they go to walk up the steps and onto the road, they're like, oh my God, it's, it's water. How do we cross it? And then they throw Sarah in. She's like, tis stone, you know? It's it's not inept. It's period based. That said, Sarah's supposed so, to 
So yeah, it was a man out of time. That was part of the humor that they did. Yeah. I said inept because twice they were called back. You know, <laughs> we'll get to movie two later. Twice they were called back and twice they were unable to complete their mission because, you know, in each case, a kid outsmarted them. Be it Thackeray Banks, the first time in Salem in the 1693. Well, I think. I think there's a slightly different interpretation of how some of the stuff on the uh, second one. So let's focus on the first one. Yeah. Right. I'm just saying that in both cases, the, the first time in Salem in 1693 and again in Salem in 1993, they were outsmarted by two teenagers when they're supposed to be the supreme, you know, most powerful witches Salem has ever seen. So, I mean, I don't know what else you'd call them, but inept if they can't win at that point. But power versus wit are two different things. Yeah, and, and the, well, clearly they lost in the battle of wits, so inept. Uh, you lose all the time, and I don't call you inept. Sure, you do. I've seen the private message. Oh, we don't share those with the public. Never mind. Oh my goodness. Um. So good triumphing over evil is the trope. It's the driving plot line. So obviously, evil had to come from a perspective of being able to be beaten. If they had not made the Sanderson sisters uh, beatable then there wouldn't have been, you know, a movie to have. So inept, I think, is, I think Sarah was definitely inept. Mary, see, the whole point of Sarah and Mary is that they are the other two parts of a trinity of power. And the one thing that this movie does really, really well is it shows that, you know, that trinity of power, that power of three, which of course we're familiar with through other verses that bring that in for witches, um, that power of three helps drive their power. And then of course they've got book, which is basically the reference material of all of their knowledge and all of their spells. And it's, I would, I would say it's less inept and more the fact that the children were creative enough to work around that limitation of being able to spell cast on the fly. I mean, you know, this isn't a D&D &D movie where you got sorcerers that just go, oh, yeah, I'm good, and cast, and they're, they can get themselves out of a situation. These witches are confined to the knowledge that's within that book. So once they isolate book from them, their their hands are kind of tied. That's not an F. That's lack of material. So I'm I'm probably mixing up the names of the Sanderson sisters, but the the two supporting ones, the blonde on the left and the dark haired okay. one on the right. Okay. I sort so of Mary see them. Is blonde, uh, or I'm sorry, Mary is the brunette, Sarah is the blonde, and Winifred is the redhead. Okay. Uh, in my head, I'm seeing them as the actress's name because I've seen them on other stuff. So, um, but so like they almost work sort of like a Greek chorus, just echoing what Bat Miller Winifred is saying. So I didn't really like necessarily hold the shenanigans against them because it, you know, I I judged it as a period piece in that like it's it's a product of the campy 1990s movie style. Oh yeah. Um, so like I, but I sort of saw saw their role as almost as a the Greek chorus to, as backup dancers, if you would, for Winifred. I don't really think they're backup dancers. You have to remember. Well, and see, I come at it from a different perspective. Um, so, so in in witchery, in paganism, um, there is the concept of you know. A, a triad, much like other religions and things of that nature where you have a triad, um, there is a law of three. 
And so it governs both what you do and how it it comes back to you, whether it's good or ill. Um, but also three is a number of power. And so when you have three people that share that power, they can tap into that three. It's kind of the same notion as the maiden, mother, and crone, which is actually kind of cool because in Hocus Pocus, you've got the maiden, the mother, and the crone in all three representations in the three sisters because you've got the oldest sister, the crone, Winifred, who is very aggravated by the fact that the younger sister, the maiden, um, Sarah, is considered the pretty one. And then you've got Mary, who is really the mother aspect, and she's kind of like the the one kind of in the background helping take care of the sisters, but not really being in the forefront. So it's, it's kind of cool the way that that all plays off of each other. Um, just looking at it from the perspective of being a witch. So. Okay. You got anything to add doc? No, I mean, so uh, I didn't, I, I'm, I'm a pagan as well. So when I watched this though, I wasn't. And um but later on, I have and definitely in one of those movies coming back. I've seen those same tr things that Mira is talking about within the show. And, um, and I think it's also really good. And it's I've enjoyed it. I still enjoy it as I've aged. and I, I get a different perspective on it. But um, I'm just going to say this. I think this is the only thing where Sarah Jessica Parker ever sings. And so I'm really wondering if they like uh, just lip synced that or not. It's not lip sync. I, I think she's done a couple of other things that she's sung in. I want to say at some point she might Broadway or or theater maybe. I'm not sure. Um, it's a very vague recollection. So somebody's probably going to go out, search me, put it in the comments and be like, she's totally wrong. And you know what? I will own it if I am because it's a very vague recollection could be mixing her up with someone but um i think that is actually her voice um she is a phenomenal personality and for her to have been able to kind of stand off in the background like she did at points as sarah kind of shocked me i really thought that she would steal the show completely from the rest of the cast because she is so visible and so well known for other roles um, yeah, but so, she's well known now. But I, I, I just decided to look up her filmography really quick. She was, I mean, she wasn't a rookie actress at the time either. But she was not huge. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like she definitely went she's on to been be in a huge. I'm trying to remember what the movies were in the eighties that I saw her in that, that I, I mean, I, I knew her name and knew it well by the time Hocus Pocus came out. Um, but I, I cannot for the life of me, put my finger on any particular. So I looked her up. She was in a kid's classic sing-along videos, Camp Melody and USS Songboat. So she has a history where she was singing. Um, in okay. movies. They were kid shows, but I mean, you know, it wasn't her first time, so that counts for something. Yeah, and of course, Bette Midler is an amazing singer and is known for it. Was it Flight of the Navigator? Yes, thank <laughs> you. That's what I thought. That is the movie that I knew her from. Um, Flight of the Navigator, another Disney flick from my childhood back in the 80s. I I absolutely, uh, that's where I remembered her from, I think. If, if there wasn't something in between, for some reason, I'm thinking she did something with Matthew Broderick. 
So, but I can't remember what it was. Well, we're going to pause real quick and we're going to shamelessly shill for the man. And that's me this time, but we're going to shill for the man. And then we're going to get back to talking about this awesome movie. The only what will you do when the world goes belly up? Will you paint stripes on your cheeks, grab your flaming guitar and enjoy the glorious post-apocalypse party? Or will you gnash your teeth and wail at the loss of civilization? Either way, we've a story for you. This post-apocalyptic collection has 15 great stories, each with its own spin on our future. Dive right into From the Ashes, a Bayonet Books anthology, before the future becomes now. All right, so we were talking about the movie Hocus Pocus, and uh, so we one of the things I wanted to ask you is what you thought overall. We were kind of dancing around this question, but what do you think the overall role in the story of was of the Sanderson sisters, and then what did you think of them in general as characters in this movie? Zaska, I'll let you start this one. <laughs> well, I always thought... I always thought they were fascinating. I always wanted more of them in the movie. And even when I was young and I just thought they were like the bad guy, I still thought they were absolutely fascinating. Um, you can definitely tell that they come from a different world, both perspective. There's little moments. There's one point where they refer to somebody and they go, is she a white witch? Which tells you that for the people who were writing the script, at least, and creating these characters, there was more to the universe than let's just take these three people and put smack a reverse of King Arthur's court, you know? Um, hmm? Sorry, bear with me one second. All right, go, go on, Doc. So you thought it was more than just a reverse of King Arthur's court? Yeah, and I, I enjoyed the movie truly through it um trying to think what else with the sisters um what was the rest of your question so what did you think of the way they were just the characters in general like what are your thoughts on the characters i i like the characters um and i didn't particularly care for the oh well they got magic by making a deal with the devil type type mentality but uh they go a bit more into that in in season in the second one so i won't be any spoilers into the the truth of where they got their magic from um so there's that um you know i also really identified with max in that he uh he had to move across country and he had to deal with having the only person he knew in town be his younger sibling because i've dealt with that move and uh, and it's not always the easiest thing for anybody involved. And when you're a teenager, you kind of forget that. Like, there are some points as an adult I just wanted to smack it. Yeah, I can see that. I, I as a teenager, I, I didn't even care for my. I mean, so I was very respectful to my parents, and one of the tropes that I hate about teenage dramas and anytime they use teenagers in comedy is that they immediately jump to this trip that they have to be disrespectful and so that really turned me off from the character uh just from the beginning because he was so disrespectful the other thing is in my family we take care of younger siblings and so when he was like oh man i don't want to really want to 
with my younger sister and all this stuff. I'm like, can we try not to play up all of these like really horrible stereotypes? And then when they introduce the witches, of course, they introduce the stereotype of having, you know, sold their souls to the devil or made a pact with the devil. And that also bothered me, but the sisters made it fun and you could tell that they, even though they had, you know, they tried to play it up with all this evil, the reality was they were really trying to figure out a way to continue existing. And yes, okay, their methodology to continue existing by eating children is not something I would advocate by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and I'm really kind of glad, well, no, that will, We'll go into that when we do the second one, but um, the uh, the you knew that they were doomed not to be able to succeed because they were not going to be allowed to eat children. That's really what it boils yeah. down to. Well, and I think one thing is I don't I think they wanted to continue existing, but I don't think other than I mean they came from an era where if you were female and you weren't into kids. You were wrong. That's fair. Yeah. And um, I don't ever really like see them truly being so much like, let me actually eat. They were more less like Wicked Witch of the West. Let me eat you. And more just like, this is what I need to survive. And oh, by the way, I really don't like kids. Yeah. Yeah. And I can see that argument. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why the fact that, you know, Thackeray basically exists in perpetuity in this cat form to avenge his sister and defend the black flame candle to make sure that the witches can't be brought back. That's one of the reasons why, you know, that works so well, um, honestly. And I, I felt like that that part of the story was believable. Max was less believable. You know, Thackeray was kind of everything you would expect an older brother to actually be instead of the teenage trope, you know? Even though they start him out as the teenage trope and then they fix it. But, yeah. Okay, so I actually thought, you know, overall they were portrayed... Nope, I think... Yeah, close enough. I thought that they were, overall, they were, as far as bad guys go, they were campy and fun. So I did enjoy that part of it as this kind of a nostalgic look to rewatch this at the 90s sort of style of TV show, sort of like that G.I. Joe trope where everyone ends the cartoon laughing. Uh, and so I thought I sort of had that vibe from this movie. It makes sense that it was made as a Disney movie uh, that only got the primetime treatment after the fact where they realized, hey, this could be a hit. This was originally going to be a straight to TV sort of special. So it hit those straight to TV kind of tropes, which I liked. I liked movies that are geared for kids that have the good versus evil instead of trying to teach nihilism from such a young age. Like I think that has value. I think stories are valuable in a way to, to teach. Um, I didn't get hung up on the whole Wiccan thing because there's been plenty of, you know, at the time, I, I don't know what was out in the nineties. It wasn't there. Except but I mean, I, I grew up where yeah, you know, part of that. it needed to be 90s culture. Yeah, but it, I mean, it did what it needed to for 90s culture. But in, in the years that followed, there's so much out there where the witches are both the good guys and the bad guys that I don't think 
that, oh, this time the witches were bad guys is meaning anyone saying all witches are bad guys. So I didn't really go there. I don't remember what I would have thought about that in the 90s because I was sort of busy doing other things. I do remember watching it, though. So for whatever that's worth. Um, and I, too, watched it in the Dollar Theater, the uh, Cinema Cafe uh, with nachos, believe it or not. Um, see, that those are timeless foods, Doc. But were you back in the States in the 90s? Ours had popcorn and drinks. That was it. You couldn't, I, you could get candy, but I think they only had Twizzlers and Junior Mints. Okay. So, Doc, were you in the States in the 90s or were you still in Saudi? I was in the States in the 90s, but I did not see it in theater. I, the first time I saw it was at home. Okay. On D, uh, VHS, it would have been. Okay. On whatever it was. 93 would have been VHS. So I think. I mean, I, Correct I, me if I I'm wrong in the comments and tweak the algorithms for us, dear listener. Uh, I remember um, being very into it and wanting to watch it and wanting to know more of the sisters. I, I do vaguely remember at one point it did hit TV, and I want to say it was on ABC on one of their wonderful World of Disney Friday nights. Okay. Wow, I'm really so, back, aren't I? It's okay. okay. So what did what did you Make think of the cat, it. Doc? What did you think of the cat Binks or Thackeray Binks, the uh, the original Emily's big brother who becomes the cat? Like, what did you think of the character? I okay, so Thackeray is one of my favorite characters in the movie, so much so that I cat after him. Um, it doesn't happen to be a black cat, but it was a main tune. <laughs> but um, Thackeray, I, I I thought everything about that worked. The idea of uh, a transmogrification spell being used against someone to kind of make that revenge, you know, okay, you stole this from us and so now we're going to steal your life, but make you continue living it in a way that you can never enjoy it. And yet as a cat, he obviously found ways to enjoy it and still found a purpose in life. So I, I really actually love Thackeray Banks. I, I think it's, He's one of the characters that works the best out of the movie, other than the Sanderson sisters. And I love this picture. That is a great picture. I wow. think that's the picture that JR hung in his room. That's very cool, though. I love that. That's great art. I mean, my uh, those were just the movie posters I found on Google, quick Google search that were royalty-free. And... Uh, I had a strict dress right yes, dress yeah. bedroom as a young one because my stepdad was former Navy drill instructor, whatever they call their drill instructors. So like I, I you know, that was my experience in childhood. My drill sergeants, by the time I got there, I already knew how to make hospital corners. So no, I did not have movie poster stock. That was not allowed. Sure. But um, <laughs> But yeah, so I, I like. Well, first off, Doc, I didn't let you go. Did you did you weigh in on Thackeray? I liked Thackeray. Did you have more than just I liked it to say, or I thought Thackeray was a very believable character, and I liked that Thackeray kind of looked at Max at one point and was like, "You need to get over it. Stop being, stop trying to be a cool butt because you're just being a jerk, and you're going to regret it." And I think yeah, I do. For... All older siblings who've been left to care for their younger ones needs that reminder occasionally. Now, yeah, I he was. 
comments with. I was raised as an only child, and the only experience I had with siblings is that, you know, I helped with my younger cousin from time to time. Yeah, I, I kind of got um, the Binks character sort of served that uh, Jiminy Cricket kind of vibe where he was like the conscience of the show, um, sort of whispering in your ear, you know, how to do the right thing to the various characters and, and more specifically to the audience. And I, I agree with what you said earlier about this was a movie that sort of taught the importance of family uh, by showing you how to do it wrong so then you could do it right. And I, I liked that as well. I think too often modern culture sort of makes family disposable and good versus evil is considered campy. So we don't do it. Yeah, it's I mean, all about the nihilism. I like that this is teaching about, about family, even the sister. And I like that. About family. Yes. And I liked that. Yeah. So I thought, I thought that really worked. I liked his role as sort of the movie. conscience. Well, as well, if we have time, we'll... the first movie, I know you're, you're breaking up Mira. Sorry. Oh, sorry. So, Go ahead. So I was going to say, is, um, I, I really did like him as a, as a strong secondary character. Um, and it was, I think, I think he served his purpose well and was well acted. The hard, the trippy thing is when everyone realizes that the actor that played Thackeray Banks also becomes Timothy McGee in NCIS. <laughs> and they have that aha moment. It's like, wait a minute, that's the same person? Because he grows up, obviously, the actor does. Um, all right. So we've talked about sort of the main character. What's that? You need a moment, need to drool, go to your bunk, whatever. No, I'm just thinking that's not right. So did you guys have any favorite secondary characters? Oh God, yeah. Um honestly, Billy the zombie. Um, and and that is probably one of the if memory serves, oh gosh, I can't believe I just forgot his name. Oh, Doug Jones. Uh, I think that is one of the first exposures I had to Doug Jones. And um, Doug Jones is this amazing actor who can literally take on any persona he is put into. He is a true character actor. And so the guy, the man that plays Billy was also, you know, Abe um, from uh, uh, the, the Hellboy. Um, and then you have four or five other amazing characters. I mean, like anything he does, he fits into so well. So I, I love the physical comedy aspects of him. I felt like he stole the show the minute he cut open his mouth and, you know, everybody kind of gags, but you can, you can see that in the mouth movements. You can see, you know, it, it provoked a response in the other actors and it was so organic and so real. It was like, oh, God, this character is going to be cool. And the first thing he says is, shut up, witch. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I like him, you know? He's he's a great character. Um, I almost like the female, Max's girlfriend. I can't remember her name now. Allison. I almost liked her better than Max. Allison, well, I yeah, think I Max is of than... the kids the weakest character, or at least the most annoying. Mm -hmm. I would definitely say that's true. But then I again, think I thought that better. Males annoying when I was a teenager, so that could be. So I liked, I like the bullies that we meet, the take issues, and the sort of that that arc as it plays out. I like the reference to Vanilla Ice with the "Call Me Ice," and they were trying to be all cool. Like I thought that was hilarious. 
Um, it's a it's a throwback joke that you know aged. If you know who that was, if not, it's like that makes no sense. I actually get it better now than I did then because I had no idea who Vanilla Ice was when I first watched the movie. Well, I mean, I knew who he was because everyone loved to I mock mean, him. I he, he he was like the Nickelback of his era. Everyone loved to hate him. I didn't pay attention. Yeah, I knew who Vanilla. Oh, sorry. Yeah, so I li I like that I, as I a secondary character. Go ahead, Mir. Yeah, I I couldn't get into the. Yeah, I couldn't get into the bullies. My my thing, of course, I I came at it from the perspective of a kid that was bullied all too much. So honestly, by the time they put the bullies in the cages, I was rooting for the witches. To eat them. <laughs> Yeah, but that was, I, I really wasn't upset with the bullies. And sorry. No, no, that was the point, though. And that's what was made them. They were sort of caricatures of the, the cool kid trope in all the high school movies, which is what made them amusing. And the fact that they get their comeuppance at the end, even better. Uh, that one liner he gets when he when he takes his shoes back at the end, and he just leaves them hanging in the in the salad when they're like, please save me. And he gives them some campy little piece of advice that I can't remember off the top of my head. Like that was, that was, you know, anyone that's ever dealt with pain in the butt bully types. Like that was the perfect sort of cold circle for that, for that arc, which is what made it amusing. So anyway, um, I, I mean, I, I wasn't a huge fan of them, but you know, Billy, I liked the little girl they got to play the sister, the younger sister, um, Zachary's younger sister. Uh, I, I really loved Danny. Danny. Yeah, Emily was good. Danny was amazing. Um, and Danny is one that every time she was on scene, I was watching her, <laughs> you know? So. Just the embodiment of the petulance of youth. Yeah, I, I can see that. So, you know, we've talked to death about the, the characters. Let's talk about the plot. So you had lots to say when we first started, and I asked you to hold your piece. So spew it. What do you think of the plot of this movie? I mean, the plot, it, it, there's a lot of tropes, but they did them very well. Um, you know, the the good triumphs over evil, the you know, coming of age story, the redemption uh, for Thackeray Banks, the, I, all of it works very well together. Um, the, the biggest issue I have with the plot point is the fact that they made the sisters have a pact with the devil. There was no reason for that part. They could have just been witches. They didn't need to go to that. But, you know, everything else I think worked very well. Okay, what about you, Doc? I mean, I get it, but I also thought I, as an adult, I enjoyed the entire byplay that happens in the house when they think they found the devil and his wife. Um, and but really, you could totally cut that scene out and cut that plot point out, and you'd be fine. So I do get that. I think. It's more of a byproduct of people want to know how did they get the magic? But that's, I mean, we're coming from the 90s perspective where magic has to be evil. And that's 
not really the case either. But, you know, that's that was the perspective of the time that the movie was made. Um, I really enjoyed it. I thought the plot was fun, enjoyable, and rather timeless. You could do this movie. This plot is relatable whether you are a kid or what is it like the Gen Z's like the kids born in the last couple decades or, or not. And it's still one of those, they can enjoy, they can identify enough with it that it's a fun, good watch. It'll, it's definitely proven that it can stand the test of time. So I looked up, uh, Emily Binks was played by actress Amanda Shepard. And apparently other than, uh, Hocus Pocus, and then the twenty first and twenty fifth anniversary edition bash. She's only been in one other movie, so she was sort of a you know bit character in three different movies, and that was it. And two of them were essentially re release. One of them was a re release of the other, so uh, that's why nobody can remember her name <laughs> because she sort of disappeared into normalcy, I guess, or or muggled them, I guess, as Doc would say. Um, no, but. Uh, just not continuing I mean, to act. Not doing a major career, you know? Yeah, I, I didn't dive that deeply down the Google hole to find I mean, out there's more. There's several, like, several child actors who decided that it, it wasn't for them. The kid who played young Luke Skywalker, or no, not Luke Skywalker, young Anakin Skywalker, he didn't like it. He, he quit and uh, never went back to acting. His family moved and changed their names even. The, uh, the actors, you know, there are some intense. child actors that probably should have stepped out and said, no, not going to do it. You know, <laughs> so, so I liked, that, you know, some of them figured out early enough. That yeah, no, I just did a quick, cause you, cause you were talking about it. So I did a quick Google search uh, while we were, while I mean, that's going to be odd now if you think about it. That young lady is now old enough that her kids are probably watching Hocus Pocus. She actually, when I was looking for her while you guys were talking, she's got a picture on her Instagram of her daughter dressed as her character and being the right age at this point. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> yeah. Love so it. overall with that's the plot, awesome. yeah, I like the idea that the kids were fighting evil. Uh, the You know, fighting the eternal evil, I think. Modern art lost something when it gets away from those sort of core themes about, you know, what it means to be human. Um, I think we we got into too much navel gazing for the point of navel gazing, and we lost our way a little bit with the art of uh, cinema. Uh, I think people are starting to get bored with that, and we're starting to see more movies that tell sort of eternal stories. I wish we could do that without revisiting all the old ones and just redoing them with new actors and come up with more we stories. We could. But, yeah, but they just won't because they 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 want to bank on nostalgia and hope for easy money. But that's another story for another episode. But uh, I thought the story was organized. Uh, it was internally consistent, so you know it's a win from from that point. Um, I, I was the trope. One of the tropes they have is that the witches couldn't step on holy ground, sacred ground, um, and so they couldn't follow them into the. Um, into the church cemetery, right? But somehow they can fly over it. So it's like, okay, well, where does it become holy ground? Is it literally when, you know, the part that touches the soil, uh, when they're grabbing people touching the holy ground, are they not touching through connection, the holy ground? Um, you know, at what point are they flying low enough? Cause they did some low bomber passes uh, where they're now in the holy ground like that. 
like I get that trope. I, I, it's done a lot. I have no problem with it. It's part of sort of the accepted headcanon of the world, I think, for you know these kinds of movies. But they skirted around it so much that it's like, wait a minute. They're in holy ground. She's literally sitting in a hole in the ground with salt around her. So she's, they doubly can't get her. Like this should have been the end of the movie. They just wait the movie, you know, wait out the sunrise. But I don't know. It's just um, at that point in time, Max, Max and Danny I don't know. started getting. I kind of love the sunrise. They did. What I'm saying is, is they yeah, should have never been able to. Get... You're, you're not coming through, Mira. The, you love the fake sunrise. Yeah, I did too. Right. But I just meant in in general, I thought that this the holy ground thing was used enough. I had no problem with it. But the way they used it just didn't make sense to me. Um, it, it just, it didn't seem to follow its own laws. And we lost Mira, uh, Doc. But so that really bugged me a little bit. Like, if you're going to set rules in canon, follow your own dang rules, please. Yeah, um, I, but I think then they got around it a little bit with the Max and Danny being in the too stupid to live category of uh, main characters um, by, you know, them. Hey, I've got this absolutely safe place. Doc, you let her out as I let her in. Uh, we've got this absolutely safe space. Let me leave it for no apparent reason. And that, that really bugged me. Um, yeah, but when it I comes mean, to... kids are impulsive and stupid. Yeah, but he's 16. He's, he's at an age where he knew better. He's a year younger than I was when I enlisted. Stupid stuff did you do at 26? We've had those talks. Yes, but I was paid well to do it, so I was a professional. No, you weren't I mean, well to do some of those stupid things. First of all, so, nobody ever pays the enlisted well. This is true. But yeah, I don't know. That that scene really bugged me because it seemed to violate the canon. I was with them up until that point. Um, but I just that just seemed to not be internally consistent. It bugged me a little bit. Um, so did you have anything else to add now that your connection seems to be a little more stable, Mira, about the, uh, the plot? Well, I think the big thing for me, I, I had a lot of fun with the fake, uh, sunlight scene because I felt like that kind of established, okay, the sun is most definitely going to kill them. They believe this wholeheartedly. Um, and then you get into this, uh, kind of scene where they're in the graveyard and you can tell the sun's on the horizon and suddenly it's all about you know we're not going to make it at this point so we're going to make sure we take them with us you know and they they get so lost in the fight that they forget that the sun is coming up that's that it kind of bothered me with what they established with the with the fake sunlight scene so but i mean suspension of disbelief same thing with you know the hollowed ground where does it end where does it begin you know? Yeah, I mean, that, that was one of the things. So um, did you have anything to add before we move on to world building, Doc? No. All right. So, Doc, since you're talking, what did you think of the world building of the world they created, which is largely in movies, uh, you know, some of its dialogue, but a lot of it's the set itself that sort of creates well, the I world. Well, I definitely say this is probably the first really definitely urban fantasy movie. And definitely the first one I ever saw that would definitely set it up as that. Um, I mentioned earlier, they it was clear with how they wrote the lines for the sisters that the sisters came from a what was a potentially a fully fleshed out world. Uh, because there, there was this point where they looked at one of them 
And they went, she's a white witch. So you knew that in this universe where they came from, there were people who were aligned like them and people who had magic, but were not on the same path. Which I thought was great. Um, but it's it's very subtly done. So it's very easy to miss that line. As I said, I just watched it again recently. So. Yeah, we watched it this weekend too. So uh, I made I made my youngest sit with me and watch it. But yeah, I thought um, I thought that that was well done. I think one of the benefits they had is they tied into so much of like all of us were forced to study force. We were privileged to study the Salem witch trials and that era of you know American history. So we had that sort of base knowledge. I think the costume designers, when it came to building this world, they did a pretty good job of getting some of the clothing right for the witches. Uh, they actually went through a lot of archival. That they, there's an interview that the director did about him and the costume uh, lady going through, or guy, I don't know, I'm assuming lady, but the costume person going through like actual attire that the uh, hanged witches in Salem were wearing and getting trying to get that vibe right. Obviously, they added some splash of color and panache to it because, you know, it's a movie. But, I mean, as far as, like, the cut and what they were wearing, they tried to be accurate. So I thought that was kind of helped create the ambiance. Now, I am not a trained clothing historian, so I don't know how much of what I'm judging it on is actual reality and how much of that is just, you know, tropes that sort of found their way into common lore. But, I mean, it was believable for me. Um, I think the the visuals aged well because more of it relied on the acting um, than the necessarily like green screen of death in this movie. Um, so it's sort of like the language difference with the sisters sort of created that that world that's that person at a time. In uh, the town of modern Salem was was fun to see, you know, because you get to see old Salem in the original, you know, in the the opening scene, you know, with all of the pastoral sort of ambiance and then suddenly you're in the middle of 1990s Salem and it was that was kind of a fun place so what about you Mary what did you think of the world building the world building was good um I I enjoy the fact that they did set it in modern Salem I think the sets that they did for the 1693 Salem were very accurate very uh well done the clothing for the townspeople was very well done. Um, the, the nice thing about the Sanderson sisters costumes in the nineties versus what you saw them in, in 63 was like, they kind of got a modern update. Like when the magic brought them back, it brought them back in kind of what they visualized them being instead of what they were actually burned in. Um, and so, you know, you've got that gorgeous corseted bodice on, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker that is hand embroidered and you know all of that gorgeous embroidery on Winifred and the stylized wig and Mary's hairstyle is so stylized it's become iconic to the character um, and I mean just the colors that they used the palette that they used it really worked well it played well especially with the 90s era coloration they used in cinematography and it stood the test of time because they brought it back and it still works. So speaking of cinematography, what did you think of the cinematography, Mira? Can you hear me, Mira? All right, we lost her again, Doc. Did you have anything to say about the cinematography? Uh, not really. I mean, 
I liked it. I, I'm not a cinematography person. I don't know shit about that. So I thought the um, I have pretty low standards okay, when it comes so to cinematography. So cinematography and not sound like an idiot like me. So like my standards are pretty low. I don't want any shaky Blair Witch crap, uh, and I'm good generally speaking. I prefer dramatic I'm acting over green screen. <laughs> Uh, I prefer dramatic acting over green screen I'm and so CGI. I'm sorry, guys. I'm hitting a horrible bandwidth issue, so I'm going to have to drop y'all because y'all are not going to have me. Like, it's just not coming through, I don't think. so. All right. Well, you have a nice I one. I say bye. I'm sorry. No problem. Talk to you later. So, like, for me, I think, you know, this was filmed before they did those green screens of death. So I thought it was a win cinematography. Don't really have a lot to say. I think they did a good job at artfully pacing every, every shot and getting sort of, you know, within the, the realm of capabilities of the equipment at the time. Um, we apologize for the shaky nature. This is what happens sometimes when guests have emergencies at their job and they have to go into the woods and, you know, it is what it is. But so now we look at the movie poster. I'm going to pull up the original movie poster. I think I thought we already had the original. Uh, this was the original movie poster. So, what do you think of the art for this, Doc? Oh, I think that so screams 1990s and kind of a bit of the early. It, it's not even so much 1990s to be honest, because that's that's a pretty iconic Disney look from anything before the 2000s. Really, um, if you look at. Um, Journey to Witch Mountain. It's got that same kind of uh, almost painted-esque vibe to the poster and the art. I think it's great. I love it. I think it's very true to the spirit that has kept it going. The 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 um, I want to call it a franchise because it's really only two movies and only one of them's and the second one's a month old. But I mean, I I, I watched the second one opening the first night and uh the response was when my parents asked me why was i've waited 29 years for this movie yeah maybe we'll we'll have people back and we'll do a review of the second one because i just watched it because steve since we had just watched one we went ahead and watched two yeah well i mean um, i'd love to find out if our fans and listeners want us to do a second one of the movie because to be honest i mean i don't know where where is the spoiler deadline on that would we have to air it at the beginning of November? I don't know. So let's see what, um, if you want, comment if you want to watch it, us to do a review of the second one. Yeah. But um, so for me, the movie poster, it, it has, like you said, that iconic Disney thing going. It's kind of reminds me of the bed knobs and broomsticks um, poster, mm -hmm. but it makes, that makes sense because they all sort of had that same vibe. I really do like that she's on that uh, vacuum cleaner, which is amusing. Um, that plays out in, in, both of the movies where they ride things other than brooms. Um, well, I think that because it's on the vacuum cleaner, the nice thing is it definitely signals that this is, yes, there's witches, there's out of time, but that is a modern setting. Yeah. And so I think it did, it's sort of what the movie was about, sort of these people out of time, um, the juxtaposition of the modern attire, or the, the modern background, the modern vacuum cleaner and the historic clothing. So I really liked it. The full moon angle sort of screamed, um, urban fantasy, I guess, or, you know, witchery was afoot. So overall, what did you think of the, of the movie doc? I love the movie. I've watched it. We'll say more than a few times and leave it at that. And at each time I've enjoyed it. Um, 
truly the only way to not enjoy this movie is to not finish it for me. I have to, I want to finish it every time. The only time I get grouchy about this movie is if I didn't get the chance to finish it. Okay. So I give this one, you know, five out of five stars. I really love the movie. Uh, I rewatch it. Like I said, every year with the kids, it doesn't have too deep of a plot, but it has some very iconic, you know, good versus evil kind of thematic elements that I really think are important. Uh, especially for kids, which is this movie was aired at. It's not the, you know, everything is bad and, you know, just burn it all down that we get with modern art. Um, So I really like that. I really think that's a good sort of message for kids in this movie. I thought the plot was well executed and it kept me entertained. So even better, it was family friendly. So again, five out of five stars. If you had to rate it on this arbitrary five-star system that people are used to using, how many would you give it, Doc? I'd give it completely 10. That seems appropriate. Um, 10 out of five. Because uh, you does the math college style. Did you throw letters in your math too, just to be you know extra special? Uh, I did throw letters in the in my math, and they are J R S U X. No. All right, and on that happy note, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up. But first, we're gonna ask you, dear listeners, in the comment section to uh, tell us what you thought of the movie. Did you like it? Did you love it? Did you hate it? Um, have you watched it? Will you watch it if you haven't? After listening to this review. You know, did the trailer do it for you? Just join the conversation in the comments. We we enjoy your participation. So, you know, don't be a lurker. Join. Um, and uh, you can find us, since we're going to wrap this puppy up, we, we hit the one-hour mark that's our, our bewitching hour. You can find us on the Twitters at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show, Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email the show at blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. Again, blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. You can join our Facebook group where all the shenanigans happen, facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. You can sub- join us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades, where you can support the show for as little as 99 cents a month. Uh, you can help keep the lights on or you can support the show more directly over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Handley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Handley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast. And I promise I will keep my co-hosts duly participating in their Netflix, Hulu, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we can do more movie reviews because these are fun and easy to do and, you know, mix it up a little bit from book reviews and, and interviews with authors. We want to start doing more of that. More for us. Fireside chats are coming your way. But in order to do that, you know, your support is is welcome and encouraged. So do your part, uh, and we will thank you for it. Uh, and with that being said, Doc, you get to bring it home. Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. Woo. Sorry. Uh, I bored her. Uh, you do. Uh, but so thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. If you think there's a movie you'd love to hear some opinion or discussion on, let us know. Or a TV show. Maybe we can even get JR to watch the Winks show. I don't mind watching that for the podcast. I'm uh, I'm working my way through Supernatural right now. Uh, oh, it's time. So no. <laughs> but thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week, same time, same place. Enjoying our love of torturing Jr. Nerd culture, cheesy jokes. Waiting to see if Nick shows up, and of course, eating pineapple on pizza.